Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590, and you can find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Well, after the hectic two weeks from Flushing Meadows, Grand Slam season is finished for now, uh, but we still have plenty of the tennis calendar left as we. Uh, venture into the fall Asian swing. And while it was a quiet week tennis-wise, it was an incredibly busy one for Mississauga's Bianca Andreescu, who had a, a whirlwind media tour in New York, Toronto, and Montreal. They also had a rally for her in Mississauga. And uh, I don't know what your expectations were, Mike, for, for Bianca post-U.S. Open title, uh, but it, it was great to see that we really went all out. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's deserving. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't think I ever really like played through in my mind what would be the celebration for a Canadian Grand Slam singles champion. Like, what would it look like? What would it feel like? And I don't know if I ever expected them to end up on, on Jimmy Fallon and all these American sort of TV shows and, and talk shows, not to mention the huge response back here at home. But it's obviously very deserving for Bianca, and she's handled it so well. I just can't get over the composure at all of these events, she seems like a seasoned pro who's won multiple slams and is used to all this attention. Uh, you wouldn't know that she's just 19 years old, but a very busy week, as you, you mentioned. And, uh, I mean, the rally that was held uh, just recently, just yesterday as we record this in Mississauga, she's presented to the, the keys to the city of Mississauga. She gets a street named after her. Uh, these are some pretty cool things to have happen to anybody, and uh, it's, it's well-deserved. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I, I'm not sure if we're going to, you know, heap this much praise and do these big of tours if she's is to win, you know, several more Grand Slam titles, um, because a, as you said, uh, she's she's handled it so incredibly well. And uh, you, you got to pinch yourself reminding reminding yourself that she is just 19 years old and, and seems uh, very ready for superstardom. Uh, she doesn't seem overwhelmed at all. And uh, it's nice for her now. She will get a bit of a break and a return at the Beijing Open later this month. Uh, but before we kind of delve into other off-court news from the WTA, it was busy in that sense. Uh, you and I had a, a great opportunity at Rogers Cup earlier in, in August to uh, speak with uh, one of the best insiders for WTA uh, in Courtney Wynn. And she kind of shared plenty of great insights on the tour at large, uh, what to make of the women's tour. And I, I guess you have to keep in mind and this was a conversation in Toronto before Bianca accomplished what she did. But I, I think we got uh, some great insights and intel on uh, a lot of players across the women's tour. Yeah, Courtney's fantastic. And she's someone that uh, we've definitely had in our sights for some time and, and been going back and forth in terms of when's a good time to have her on. And, you know, unfortunately, with the time difference, sometimes where, where she is, it hasn't really jived with, uh, with the podcast schedule. But obviously, uh, in Toronto, it worked out wonderfully. And, and she is just one of the busiest people in tennis. I mean, aside from her own Twitter account, at 40 Deuce Twits, she's also uh, sort of co-running the at WTA underscore insider account. And then uh, she is no stranger to podcasts as she co-hosts the No Challenges remaining podcast as well. That's NCR underscore tennis. Uh, Courtney's super, super kind. And while she was in Canada, she was getting so many different uh, media requests. I mean, apart from sitting down with us on the podcast, you also spoke with her uh, on the Fan 590, I believe, for mm -hmm. one of your daily on-site reports. And uh, all of this hasn't gone unnoticed as she's the recent winner of the Bud Collins Media Award, which is uh, given to someone in the tennis uh, media who's, who's really good with facilitating, I believe, and just helping out other, other media. And she is definitely someone who's always open to, uh, to engaging with tennis talk with people. And, uh, and she's a big believer and, and fighter for uh, the WTA tour. And uh, so definitely if you followed her tweets, you'll see she's very passionate about what she does. And, and that came across, I think in our, our conversation with her. Oh, without further ado, here is our conversation with Courtney Wynn. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, and we are joined by a special guest from uh, the WTA, Courtney Wynn. Courtney, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We very much appreciate it. Uh, now, obviously, in Toronto, big tournament, Rogers Cup, but uh, you cover the w WTA as a whole, uh, sort of year-round, and just trying to get a scope of, of how the 2019 season has played out, because it's been an interesting one. Naomi Osaka opened it with a great Australian Open title, but then she hadn't done much since. We had... Ashley Barty sees number one for a period of time. 
If if we were kind of pinpointing like three, four great standout players, who would you probably pick out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the season's been about parody. I mean, that's been, you know, kind of the story that's been bubbling up more on the WTA really for the last three seasons. Um, it's what we see a little bit kind of happening on the ATP as well. You know, so that's just kind of happening with the changing of the guards. And really, this season has been about uh, just a clash of generations. You know, you have the older guard still obviously there, led by Serena, uh, you know, the Angie Kerbers and, and that whole group of, of players who are 30 and older. Then you have this whole set that's kind of the, the Simone a Halep, Petra Kvitova kind of set of players, Pliskova in their mid to late 20s. And then you have like the lower set, you know, the Osaka's, Bardies in their their early 20s, and then a bunch of teenagers who are making uh, the rounds. But in terms of the standout players, I mean, for me, I, I'm still very high on Naomi Osaka. I think that, you know, it's, it's very unfair in a lot of ways for me when, you know, you have players who are absolute standouts on hard courts they do great in the first three months of the season then they obviously spend about four months away from that that you know three months away from that uh, that surface that they love and then everybody you know thinks oh their french open results or their wimbledon results dictate how good of a player they are all of a sudden that doesn't really resonate well with me i think naomi's still you know one to beat on the hard courts i think she's been a standout player i've obviously uh, simona halep i think has been incredibly consistent throughout the season and really started out slow and has continued to gain momentum and i think her wimbledon win was something that we'll remember for a long time in terms of that performance pliskova has been an absolute stalwart in terms of just being able to win on all surfaces um and she She's right there, right back in the running of getting that number one ranking back in the conversation, I think, is the best player to not win a major yet. Um, and uh, so that's been that's been great. And then you've had little pockets. I mean, I think Petra Kvitova started the season incredibly well um, and had a pretty good, you know, clay court season as well. Got derailed in, in on the grass. Uh, and then obviously Ash Barty. I think her season has been phenomenal um, and something that not we thought might happen in a couple of years. But she's definitely performed uh, incredibly well, f- I think, sooner than, than we might have expected. We talk about the depth on the WTA Tour almost weekly, it feels like, on yeah. our podcast. It's just been so entertaining to watch the last little while. And now we are seeing some players who are doubling up on their slam totals, like Osaka, who you mentioned, and Simona Halep recently as well. Who are some of the players perhaps in that next group that casual tennis fans wouldn't be as familiar with coming up that you would say, hey, if you're at a tennis tournament, go check out one of these players on the outer courts because they could be the next big thing in the next you know, year or two, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I'm always really, it's difficult for me to kind of know like what casual tennis fans like or don't. I am I have the luxury or the the, 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 curse, the curse of living yes. within the, <laughs> within a very small tennis bubble. Um, so like for me, in a lot of ways, I still feel like people don't know Karolina Pliskova. I mean, this is a player who's been an absolute, you know, star on the WTA Tour in terms of winning, uh, but hasn't really had those, those consistent breakout performances at the majors. So people kind of forget about her a lot. And I just, I love watching her game and I always tell people, if you can, you know, sit courtside and watch how cleanly this woman strikes the ball. Um, It's unbelievable. And the serve is so effortless, you know, all these sorts of things. So I still think that Carolina Pliskova deserves a lot more attraction amongst not just casual fans, but hardcore tennis fans as well. Um, I've always been been really big up on her. In terms of the the younger players who are coming up, I mean, Diana Yastrzemska, if you like power. You know, if you want to see somebody hit the absolute cover off of the ball, but do it with a surprising amount of control. Um, you know, I think Diana Yastrzemska is one to watch. I, I do like watching her just kind of pound that ball in a way that, that you know, uh, you don't necessarily see too much, again, with the control uh, by a teenager. And I really like Iga Swiatek as well. I, I think that, you know, she's 19 years old from Poland or 18 still. Mm-hmm from Poland, again, a power player. And, you know, we keep making the joke, like from Aga to Iga, you go from one player mm-hmm. who was the, the Polish stalwart, uh, who had all the variety, no, none of the power, but all of the guile. And now you have Iga, who is really uh, at her base a power player, but is now learning how to win matches in other different ways. Um, I think that, that those two are kind of my favorites and obviously for the home crowd because it is true. I think Bianca Andreescu, but I, I think everybody knows. Go. Everybody knows <laughs> Bianca. Didn't to say that either. No, you didn't. But uh, but no, I mean, I again, I think that everybody kind of knows Bianca at this point. Um, so, I you know, but I 
remain absolutely fascinated and um, impressed by her game and, and just the way that she can employ different tactics from point to point, game to game, match to match. Um, she's a tough out these days to figure out from a tactical perspective. And so um, I think I tweeted earlier, like, I'm really looking forward to her second season, you know, full time on tour, because now it, she'll go through again. You know, all these players, they haven't played her yet. So they have no, they have no idea, and they, you can see them getting visibly flummoxed and angry on the court by by what she's throwing at them. I'd love to see her go through again once you know, because how do they adapt and change their, adapt? their game plan to her the second time around? Exactly, and she has also the ability to adapt. So it's going to be for her. It, yeah, there's just so much to like about her game because like even if they game plan for her well, she can adapt mid 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 match to something different and play a different style. So um, yeah, I, I really love watching Bianca play. And it's funny how Bianca explains her game style. She said uh, when she was coming up as a younger player, uh, she just got bored of hitting the same type of ball all the time and started just mixing it up, changing it up. And you can see that within her game. She just has ridiculous feel, great hands, utilizes that drop shot. Uh, She's certainly one of the Canadians on the rise and putting Canada on the map as a great tennis nation. Uh, Layla Annie Fernandez uh, was at Rogers Cup. Uh, tough debut for her in a main draw, but she's still just 16 years old. What what do you know about uh, this young prospect that we have? She's just 16 years old, but uh, clearly uh, could be a fantastic future star. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 16 years old, you know, played well on the ITFs, got some good gritty wins down there. Lefty, I'm always a big fan of a lefty. Um, but again, like even for myself... I am personally like very cautious when it comes to evaluating young talent. Yeah. I'm, I'm this way about Coco Golf as well. You know, it's 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 great to have a great two weeks. It's great to you know every once in a while post an incredible result. Um, but being on tour and traveling with with these women, which is different than 15 and 16 years old kids, but with these women who and what physically and, and mentally they have to endure on a 10 month season, um, I know how hard it is. So. I know not how relatively easy, but how different it is to get that breakout result and to have everybody be focused on you and how physically and mentally difficult it is to do that week in and week out. And that's what, you know, you the talent that you see at the Rogers Cup in terms of the, the field, you know, at the slams. I mean, these are these are the prime, prime athletes. Um, so I'm I'm incl- I'm always the one that preaches give everybody time you know it'll it'll come if it comes but especially just in terms of physical maturity i think that i mean uh layla's great and has a lot of a lot of good talent a little bit small you know and and probably needs to 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 build in some strength and things like that again that's why i'm a little bit like bigger on bianca at at 18 19 years old because she's built strong Mm -hmm. um and you need that on the wta tour as opposed to somebody who's maybe a little bit lanky or a little bit you know um kind of you can see where th- hitches can come in and, and where I- injuries can come in even though she has been a little bit injury prone with the shoulder yeah talking about starting careers i want to put the focus on you for just a second because i know you don't like the personal attention you want to talk about the tour and the players and i appreciate that but uh, when did you get your start in tennis media and were you a tennis fan growing up where did that sort of come about and how did you get your start in the in the business yeah, it's been all a very fortuitous, serendipitous road. Um, and um, my involvement in the tennis media and being part of it has really been the result of, of just a lot of kindness from the community. Um, I've had a lot of people back me, you know, when I was, um, you know, a few years ago and, and create opportunities in a lot of in a lot of ways to um, give me a space to write and, and be a part of the whole thing. But um, this is my second career. I was a, a lawyer for about nine years um, in San Francisco at a corporate law firm. And um, at the time you know the, the the nature of the job was a lot of late nights and it was a lot of sitting in my dark office reading documents and um, writing and, and doing research and things like that and you know there comes a point where it gets boring like listening to music uh, in your office and so I kind of started to find tennis streams because as we know in tennis there's kind of always a tennis match going mm-hmm. on somewhere in the world <laughs> um, and tennis is I don't know if people know this but this is you know a radio show you should know this it's a great oral sport like it it, a-u-r-a-l but like it it sounds fantastic like you don't necessarily have to be paying attention to it and it's very soothing and so that kind of got me back into it I definitely grew up as a tennis fan my uncle who used to pick us up from school and we'd stay over at his house until my parents got off work like he was a big Sampras Lendl Steffi fan and so Edberg um these are the same players that hooked me too so it was Becker and Edberg at Wimbledon for me but it's nice to hear that for you some of those same names same ones and and so I started watching back then, but I admittedly fell out of love. Not fell out of love. That's not to say that I just didn't like it. I just got 
my energies went elsewhere to other sports. Before there was tennis, baseball was my big my big sport. That was my stat sport. Like I could talk about it like, you know, seamlessly with anyone. Um, so yeah, you had other interests. I was in school, didn't have the time, all that sort of stuff. But uh, but yeah, it just ended up calling me back. And um, so I started, I didn't have any friends who, who knew anything about tennis or cared if I had thoughts about what Yelena Yankovic did last night. <laughs> uh, so I started a blog and, and uh, back in like 2007, eight or so um, and started blogging there. And that was really kind of the impetus of things. I ended up quitting my job for separate reasons. I just decided I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore um, and was unemployed for about mm, a year and uh, was going to go apply to grad school um, to get a MFA. And my dad was like, why don't you, you know, you have the time and the money. Why don't you just go and pick up and travel with wherever the tennis is? Right. Um, and then you'll have a reason to write about something because I needed a portfolio. Advice. Yeah, it was good great. Uh, so I did. I picked up. I landed in Perth on January 1st of 2011, um, was rolling around. And then by mid-year, um, Sports Illustrated contacted me and they were relaunching a, a tennis blog and they wanted me to run it. And it's kind of... Yeah, that was kind of the that was the moment where things got professional. Um, but before that, it was just kind of really haphazard and and just kind of following my passion. And thankfully, I had the privilege and the luxury to do it. It's amazing what can happen when you take risks sometimes, and also when you follow advice. In this case, it sounds like your father's who said, "Hey, why don't you go try this?" And imagine if you don't make that decision, right? Sometimes in life, it's just these moment decisions that we make that send us down a different path. It's really cool to hear that story, how you're now doing exactly what you, you love doing, it seems like. Yeah, no, I mean, if not, if I didn't listen to my father, then I probably would have gone to get an MBA because we just go to school in our family if we don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So I've been like, I would have gone to go get an MBA or go get a grad degree and something else. And those were just the intellectual decisions. Those are the ones where like, well, I know I can do it and let's just go do it. But you know, I, I I genuinely enjoyed the writing. I genuinely enjoyed the few times that I was credentialed as media, being there and being around the players and being able to ask them all of these curiosities, you know, that I had and, and to have them, you know, kind of answer back and develop that rapport. And then also just from a very base level, like I love women's sports and I wanted to be able to champion it. I wanted to be able to give it the coverage. And, and that has been like the one thing that probably has um, stayed constant from from that moment in 2011 until now in 2019 is that, you know, it's not always fun in games and it's exhausting sometimes and there are bad days and rough days and, you know, you're not at home, uh, you're not around your family, all these sorts of things. But there is a lot of satisfaction that I get in knowing that I'm doing my part to to make sure that the stories get told, that the WTA gets the coverage that it deserves, that these women who are killing themselves out there get the coverage that they deserve. Because if they, you know, if Bianca or, I mean, Bianca's not a good example because we're here in Toronto, but, you know, if Sophia Kennan goes and beats Ash Barty uh, here at, at the Rogers Cup and no one's there to talk to her about it and no one really writes it up, historically did it happen yeah you know and that's a rough i mean this is the beating best the number day. one player in the world this is one of the best days of this girl's this this young woman's career and and we're supposed to ignore it because you know there's no money in in newsrooms anymore i don't know like you know and and that's that's a thing that that really fires me up you know and and, and it makes it easier to to step on planes to get up out of your hotel room and and get to site and and do the and do the job and t yeah, telling these fantastic stories, I think, is so crucial. And, and it's great uh, for us who've been in this podcast realm for a, a bit over a year now to connect with uh, the fellow tennis community because uh, comparatively to other sports, I think it is a bit smaller. But at the sure. same time, it's incredibly international, which is uh, great as well. We, we've touched on the parody uh, of the women's side, which is always the ongoing topic with the WTA. And then the men's side uh, is sort of viewed as, as the polar opposite with uh, domination from the big three. Now, that domination exists at the Grand and slams um you were mentioning though at, at the top uh at the top of this recording how uh we are starting to see some inroads on the men's side from some other players uh outside of slams when do you think we're going to hit that stage where we're seeing fresh names maybe have a grand slam breakthrough yeah that, that that's tough i mean because again you know there's so much emphasis these days on on the slams right and it, it's such an unfair emphasis to put but that's what casual fans know they can only they can't 
can't cover follow tennis week in week out. Yeah. So they know their four events, pl- their four slams, plus like their home tournament, mm-hmm. and so everything about tennis is gauged off of them, right? So, you know, I think that where Roger and Rafa and Novak are, I mean, a friend of mine said this at Wimbledon, and it kind of startled me, but I think it's absolutely right that especially at Wimbledon, he was like they have never had as easier a time as they've had it right now. Really? And I was like, is that that true? And (laughs) I thought about it and I was like, that actually might be true because, you know, what I think that, and the reason why I do think that you're seeing more of like the Sitsipasas and the teams and the Hachinovs, you know, those guys move up and the youngsters, Felix, all of them, is that we don't have that block of Sangha, Burdick, Ferrer, um, you know, those those mm-hmm. those top 10 guys who were always the gatekeepers. Yeah. Like they were they were professional. They were in there and they were blocking the Grigors, Kaini Shikori's, Milos Raonic's, yeah. that generation. In a lot of ways, that generation got really hosed. Sure, right? <laughs> just passed over. Just completely passed over because they had to go through two layers. You know, they not just had to go through the big four once they got up there, but they had to break through this initial group that they were coming up against around a 16 and quarterfinals. Yeah. Now that group is removed. So because they're all older and, and you know, dealing with injuries. And so now that's just created space yeah. for this next group. I mean, team looks like, obviously, to be the one, the next one. Um, you know, whether or not he can do it on surfaces other than clay remains a question, even though I know he won Indian Wells, but that's a very specific tournament of conditions that actually favors clay quarters yeah um because of the way the ball the ball moves there but um you know there's a, there's a part of me that thinks it's not gonna happen until these big three are gone um or a big injury impacts one of them and, and so that there's only two i mean that's a little bit different i mean right now so long as there's three or four you have to uh, theoretically go through two of them uh to beat to to win the title as opposed to if there's two of them you only have to go through one Right, you'd only have to beat one in a final. Maybe get them on a bad day or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. And and maybe it's a little bit easier, but but I I think it's tough. I mean, I think that you know the difference for the men's tour of having best of three on the ATP World Tour, and then you have you know best of five at the majors is massive, and that's why you do see more parity amongst the masters and the events on the men's tour because it's it's easier to pull up an upset yeah. in best of three, which I always argue is why. Like you can't compare the women's tour, the men's tour, the slams because it's point. like if the girls did play best of five, if people wanted it, mm-hmm. they, they offered to do it all the time. But that would probably mitigate a lot of the upsets that end up happening, which upsets happen on the men's tour, mm. just not at the majors. So I think it's going to be a little bit of time because Novak yeah. looks really good. He and does. he's I mean, he's the ultimate stopper. Yeah, I think to me, I don't think that he's really concerned in a best of five a format um, about any of those young young guys. Mm-hmm. You use the word compare, and and so many people, in particular online and and Twitter, and boy, that's a whole other topic right there. <laughs> but comparing the men's tour to the women's tour, and I always wonder, like, why can't you just appreciate both of them for what they are? I grew up loving watching both men's and women's tour. Um, how do you see that space for both of them? And where do you get the patience to deal with all these people online that sometimes engage with you? And, and you know, you you are a defender of definitely, as you said, women's sports and women's tennis. Where do you get the patience to deal with these people? I don't. I mean, like, I'm constantly angry. I mean, I say this all the time. I'm, <laughs> as she's smiling here. As I'm smiling here, but I'm constantly seething. I mean, I think it, everything is an uphill battle. And I see the little, you know, the significant structural problems that we have in terms of why it's an uneven playing field between the men and the women. And also just the very micro, you know, issues that, that happen. Just the way the language that is used to discuss a men's upset versus a women's upset. Mm. What happens when Amilos Raonic gets broken? when he's serving for a match but a Bianca Andrescu gets broken how those two different things are framed more often than not either Milos got a little tight or you know the other player had a great return game or whatever and in the other instance it's always a choke or Mm. nervous or emotionally weak there's Mm -hmm. the language that we use to discuss both tours is very different Um, and that's one thing that, that that's kind of not structural that's just cultural like that's how we're taught you know, yeah. and that comes from broadcasters because you grow up and you you hear how the sport is is discussed, and so you parrot that same language, and it takes effort to break out of it. I've had to, you know, make effort to break out of it. I to wasn't change habits, to right? change habits yeah. to realize, oh wow, yeah, no, I I am not going to describe that this way. Yeah, you know, and you know, and and so you have to be very mindful of 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 being of trying to do things the fair way. Because actually everything's skewed to do things 
the unequal way, you know, the unfair way to treat them disparately. I think that this sport is an amazing one. And what I don't understand is like tennis is so special because you do have the men and women competing side by side. LPGA and PGA don't have that. WNBA and NBA don't have that. Any other sport where there's a male and female counterpart, they don't compete at the same event, same site, side by side, sharing courts, going back to back. They don't sell a singular ticket that allows you to see both. I mean, th- these are things should be celebrated mm, yeah. about so tennis. It's so unique, so progressive, um, you know, and yet, even now in 2019, there's still people who want to divide it and who want to say that one that it, that one is better without the other or, and that I don't understand because it seems like now in 2019, given the current climate, tennis should be put on the pedestal. Like every other sport should be looking at us and saying, wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah. But no, like now everybody, like even within our own sport, we can't even get on the same page and say, wow, it's phenomenal. Yes. And that's, that's, that is always incredibly heartbreaking to me. Well, it's great to see people like you, Courtney, who are doing your bit to try and put it up there on that pedestal. (laughs) And certainly, you know, we look to you as one of those voices of reason in the sport. It's great to have you. uh... (laughs) It's very worrisome. Great to have you back here in Canada. I hope you're uh, you're back in two years when the event's in, in Toronto. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time with Ben and I today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks, boys. There you have it. Courtney Wynn, writer for the WTA. And you can follow her on Twitter at 40 Deuce Twits. You can also follow her insider account at WTA underscore insider, uh, which she's a part of. And you can also hear her on the No Challenges remaining podcast. You can find them at NCR underscore tennis. And she kind of uh, reflected on the importance really of telling so many of these players stories that, you know, if she isn't out there kind of tournament by tournament, uh, watching all these matches, uh, covering these different storylines, we wouldn't really know about these players the way we do. So uh, it, it's really an important role that Courtney has handled for the WTA, and it's crucial, I think, in growing the sport. My uh, my favorite part of our chat with her, Ben, was uh, how she talked about leaving her job as a lawyer. I mean, she had a well-established <laughs> job and career that many people would be uh, quite happy to have. And uh, she followed her father's advice, which was just go for it. Take a year and just follow the tour. And initially, that was just as a fan and tennis blogger. And, and hope that something clicks. And it clicked for her really quickly. She got noticed by Sports Illustrated, began blogging for them, and not too long afterwards was, uh, was scooped up wisely by the WTA Tour where she currently resides. And I just, I like that story of taking a chance, of going out there and trying something different and realizing, you know, you don't have to stick with a job that isn't working for you, that isn't bringing you personal satisfaction, regardless of the financial aspect to it and uh, i think that's a cool lesson that many people can uh, can take to heart yeah absolutely it sounds like you're giving fantastic life advice to, to any some of our listeners maybe um that uh, it was great of courtney Wynn to to show uh, some guts and really follow her passion and uh, she's done so incredibly well she's a fantastic writer and you can follow her work uh, as we said on twitter at 40 deuce twits and uh, she has frequent columns on the wta website uh we'll talk a little bit more about bianca andrescu's hectic week as you mentioned uh jimmy fallon uh and i i loved how how playful she was appearing on Jimmy Fallon as they were talking about uh, Drake, who she referred to as Drizzy. It was confirmed that uh, Bianca Andreescu did hear from Drake uh, post her U.S. Open title, so that is good news for anybody who is uh, at all interested. Uh, I should mention as well, of of course, she did return to Toronto and and had a press conference there and met with the media there and fans. And, uh, you know, there was plenty to take from this, uh, how Bianca is taking kind of the role of role model very seriously. She discussed pressure. She discussed her goals as a player, as an athlete. And she also discussed uh, how much Tennis Canada played a role in her development as a player, as a person. And uh, I'd like to listen back. Uh, We can listen back uh, to just a few of those audio clips uh, at her press conference in Toronto, Bianca Andreescu. One of my goals was to be able to be an inspiration to many people. And I think I'm starting to do that, which means a lot to me. Um, If I step on the court and I show a good example, um, I think it can drive a lot of people to maybe even pick up a racket. I know um, it's starting to, this sport is starting to get more attention because of 
what happened at the U.S. Open. I've been getting some messages saying that um, they've never watched tennis before, but now they will, which is pretty cool. And I've gone some where they said that they actually started playing tennis because of me. So, yeah, that's amazing. I'm really humbled. Not at all. Uh, yeah, it's definitely the pressure I put on myself, really. There's always going to be external pressure. I mean, I'm sure Canada wants me to do very well, and uh, most importantly, I want to do very well. So I think that pressure really helps me, honestly. Um, I got a chance to speak to Billie Jean King, and she, we were talking about her quote, privilege is a privilege, <laughs> pressure is a privilege. And I really think it is because uh, it really, it motivates me. And I think I'm a perfectionist. So if I step on the court and I do my best with what I have that day, I think that's all that matters to me. They've been supporting me since day one and that's all I can ask for. Definitely, I have more money now. Um, so I don't think I'm gonna have to depend on anyone really. I'm uh, standing on my two feet alone with what I have, so it, it feels good, it feels good. But they're always gonna be there to support me no matter what. I um, have pretty big expectations for myself. I've accomplished a lot in this past year, and I feel like I can do even more in this sport. Um, now I actually believe that I can do more for this sport after all of this success. So I'm just going to keep striving and hopefully win many more Grand Slams from now on. There you have it, Bianca Andreescu. That was at her press conference in Toronto, of course, over the weekend. Huge rally in Mississauga, keys to the city, and now a street named after Andreescu Way. And uh, nice to know as well that she uh, also held a practice in Montreal, so she has really done the rounds across Canada. Yeah, I'm just curious. What do you do with the keys to the city? Like, I've always wondered, does that give you sort of access to secret areas that, that the public doesn't normally get to see, or is that just something you throw up on the, the shelf next to your U.S. Open trophy? I don't, I don't know, but it sounds cool. It sounds and, very cool. Um, a lot of people were saying that the street that's being named after her, which is going to be called uh, Andreescu Way, uh, should have been called uh, Andreescu Court. But uh, apparently the mayor of Mississauga says there are not enough courts in Mississauga to be... Uh, uh, I guess, renamed to begin with. Mm. So uh, I kind of like the ring to Andreescu way anyhow. But uh, she's been very busy after winning that. And, you know, you asked earlier, is this what it's going to be like after every slam? I mean, clearly it's a, it's a first-time kind of thing, although I would expect that she's going to get lots of love if it ever happens again in the future here in Canada. I was just shocked by the exposure south of the border, and I wonder if it would have been as high if she hadn't beaten an all-time great like Serena Williams in the final? Yeah, that's a good question to ask. I suppose there is the benefit, though, that uh, she is winning the U.S. Open, so she already is sort of in New York City where you have these major talk shows, so maybe there was that decision either way. You're going to bring on the U.S. Open champion for these talk shows, and uh, possibly if it was a first-time champion, they were going to appear. So, yeah, that, that is something to wonder. It, it was a bigger deal, I, I think, certainly south of the border, uh, that she did defeat Serena Williams in the final. Uh, you know, it's still a Grand Slam title either way, but when you beat the greatest of all time uh, in her barn, it seems like an even bigger deal, and that's exactly what Bianca Andreescu has done. And I'm sure so many fans are eager to track her next move. She will be in action later this month at the Beijing Open. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. We'll get to some more WTA news. The big news of the week was four-time slam champion, former world number one of Belgium, Kim Kleisters, uh, really out of nowhere to me, uh, announcing that she's planning a comeback tour to the WTA in 2020. Uh, I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, I was completely blindsided by this news at the same time, 36 years old. And, you know, she had a fantastic career and thinks maybe she can do a little more. I was so surprised. I woke up the other day and I was feeling a little under the weather on the weekend. I woke up and I was kind of like groggy and just a little out of it. And the first thing I see when I'm checking my tennis Twitter, which is usually the first thing I do in the mornings, I don't know if that's kind of sad and pathetic or not, but anyhow, 
the first thing I saw was Nick McCarville, who we spoke to uh, again around Rogers Cup time, mm-hmm. tweeting out that Kim Kleisters was coming back. And I had to like seriously do a double take because I'm like, wow, the cold medication I'm taking has really <laughs> knocked me out here. This cannot be true. Mm-hmm. Because, and then I had to look, how long ago was it that she actually retired for, for the second time? And that was in, um, oh gosh, help me out here, 2012? 2012, yeah. Seven years ago. So while her age, I mean, 36 years old in tennis these days, that seems like it's almost becoming the norm for people to play that long, maybe more so on the men's tour, but, but all the same. She left early enough, I guess, to have her family, and the kids are old enough that she could see herself coming back and, and traveling and, and sort of going through the grind, probably on a bit of a limited schedule. But uh, nonetheless, just uh, staggering news, but couldn't happen to a player that I'd rather see come back. She was just super, super nice all the time with her fans, with the media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it'll be wonderful to get the chance. I don't think I've ever interviewed her before I talked to her at a tournament. So that'll be kind of cool to add her to that list of, of players I've, I've talked to. And uh, I just wonder, what is the ceiling? What are the possibilities? What would make this, in her mind, or in the mind of fans and media, a successful return to tennis? Yeah, I guess that's the million-dollar question. Uh, she's a player who's stepped away from the tour for a period of time uh, earlier. I, I mean, she already had a quite lengthy career, uh, you know, dating back all the way to the late 90s. Uh, she won her first slam in 2005, and she was making a handful of semifinals. Then that that break, uh, sort of 2007, 2008, and then made that return in 2009, of course, won the U.S. Open, and uh, had some more great results in, in that secondary sort of portion of her career, winning the U.S. Open twice, winning the Australian Open, uh, a semifinals at the Australian Open in 2012, and then done at the end of the year. Uh, she's been incredibly consistent through the bulk of her career. That's what's maybe a bit surprising about the comeback. Sometimes you hear about comeback stories of players who were, you know, not, not exceptional players, solid players who have a passion, of this, passion for the sport and want to return and sort of grind it out on the tour. Kim Kleisters is, you know, already in my books, I mean, she already is officially a Hall of Fame tennis player. She was inducted in 2017. She has 41 WTA titles, uh, you know, handful of Grand Slams, four of them, as we've mentioned. She's been world number one. There is absolutely nothing left for her to prove. She can play freely. I I know the focus for her right now for the fall season is getting her fitness really, really strong. Uh, But look, in terms of her ability to strike a tennis ball, we know she's fantastic. Uh, So, you know, I, I think something reasonable could be top 100, maybe, maybe better. I, I hope so. I mean, I hope it doesn't follow the route of like other notable comebacks in the past. The ones that come to mind for me are like Bjorn Borg, who came back and still wanted to use a wooden racket. I mean, that was more of a circus sideshow, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Mooster also came back later in his 30s, and that didn't go so well. Uh, Marion Bartoli was kind of teasing a comeback last year, and that never really got off the ground. Yeah. Um, and then I think of others that kind of went reasonably well. Kamiko Date came back and did pretty good for her age. Vera Zvonareva, a former world number two and Grand Slam finalist, she's still trying her comeback. She's ranked 103rd in the world right now, but uh, finding it difficult. Again, the draws are not going to be easy, and Kleister's is going to find this too. You could be up against absolutely anybody as you're you're playing these first several tournaments most of your tournaments next year so uh, that's going to be the big challenge and, and I think staying healthy also for Kleisters which is what sent her into retirement again seven years ago was you know ankle hip things like that not going to be any easier at the age of 36 unfortunately no certainly and I, I hope she will uh, schedule accordingly I can't imagine her playing an extreme amount of tennis I'm curious to see how she plans on beginning that 2020 season the type of tournaments she enters uh, just sort of testing her body and testing what she's capable of on the court. But uh, it's certainly a fascinating comeback, and we will be watching closely. Uh, Some other news to get to. Simona Halep uh, has announced she is getting back together with Darren Cahill in in 2020. And, uh, you know, that that is one of the finest partnerships I think the WTA has seen, maybe probably second to... uh, Patrick Moradoglu and Serena Williams, Simona Halep, and the addition of Darren Cahill. I really believe Darren Cahill kind of pushed her over the top to finally break through and win that first Grand Slam. And, uh, you know, 2019 is something Simona kind of did on her own, but I think all that she took in that coaching partnership from Darren Cahill uh, certainly never left her. 
Yeah, I mean, coaching partnerships come and go in tennis and professional sports, par for the course. I don't know why, but but hearing them getting back together just makes me, like, happy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just uh, put a smile on my face, and I read that pretty much simultaneously when I read that Kleister's was unretiring. So that was a big morning for tennis news on the weekend. Um, but, yeah, what a wonderful partnership. They're just two super likable people. They bring out the best in each other. And I think this year, despite the fact that Darren wasn't, you know, officially coaching her, that there was still, I'm sure, communication going on between the two. And so uh, he'll be back by your side in 2020. And she seemed to do pretty good without him there. But uh, obviously with with him around, that's going to be a benefit too. And I think she's a player that is certainly poised to win more Grand Slams. I don't see her as a one or two slam wonder. Uh, She's done it on different surfaces. And uh, again, young enough that there's still lots of time ahead for Simona Halep to add to that that total and sort of separate herself from that crowd over the past two years that uh, that's one, maybe one or two, like we've seen with, with Osaka. I think she's a player that's got uh, definitely more upside there. Yes, uh, certainly. I, th- I think she's a candidate to win a Grand Slam. Uh, every major she arrives at, Naomi Osaka, you just mentioned, uh, she parted ways with Coach Jermaine Jenkins, which was a rather shortly lived partnership. Of course, she had the uh, predominant partnership with Sasha Bajan. We thought that was so successful. Uh, she won her two Grand Slam singles titles with Bajan, and then they had that surprise split after the Australian Open. Uh, Jermaine Jenkins was summoned in, and uh, this was short lived as well. So I, I don't know Naomi Osaka trying to push a few different buttons uh, to, I I guess, get to that next gear, to that same level we saw when she did win her two Grand Slam singles titles. We'll see if she adds someone new before the end of the year. We have a few events uh, going on in Asia. Maria Sakari will be the number one seed in Korea. Naomi Osaka is your number one seed in where else? Osaka, Japan, at the Japan Women's Open. She's the top seed there playing her home tournament, and uh, Alina Svitolina is the top seed in Guangzhou. Gabriela Dabrowski also playing doubles. Uh, this is an interesting partnership. Caroline Garcia uh, of France. Uh, she's partnering up in women's doubles there in Japan, so we'll see what comes of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I'd have to go and check, I guess, but I can't remember the two of them ever playing doubles before. Um, so interesting partnership. Garcia playing doubles, probably not a bad idea. She's been struggling in singles mightily these last few months. So mm. any extra time on court, maybe, uh, you know, something positive for her. Just rediscover the enjoyment playing uh, tennis again. And uh, for Gabby, I'm sure we'll see her back with Julie Zhu uh, to finish off uh, the season, no doubt. Yes, I imagine. So we'll shift over to the ATP side and, and something that's really been pumped uh, this week. And it unveiled its draw uh, today is the ATP Cup and we will see its first installment uh, of 2020 kind of replacing the current structure of how the season begins in Australia uh, because the ATP Cup will take place uh, across Brisbane, Sydney and Perth as opposed to those ATP events and it's grouped by uh, top singles players in each country. So we do know Canada has landed in Group F, and they're alongside Germany, Greece, and Australia. And, and interesting for now uh, that the top two players are Felix Ogialiasim and Milos Raonic. And uh, before we started, Mike, you were relaying something interesting uh, for Felix Ogialiasim, at least for this event. Yeah, it's a different kind of event in that uh, number one singles player will face the other number one singles player in each tie, and number two will face number two. And it's just different seeing Milos Raonic not as our number one guy. So Felix is going to be going up against the number ones from Greece, like Tsitsipas, Germany, and Zverev, and Australia in, uh, gosh, I'd have to check, but I want to go with Kyrgios here, mm-hmm. while Milos will be playing uh, second fiddle and, and having the easier matches, uh, at least on paper, you would expect. So it's a different kind of vibe. There's doubles as well. Uh, I don't know who we'll see in doubles. You would sort of wonder if Felix and Vashik, they've played some doubles together this summer. Or do we get Denis Shapovalov in there for the doubles? Don't know exactly who's committed, but the ATP Cup does say they've got 27 of the top 30 singles players in the world committed. Uh, There's five more countries that are going to qualify. That'll be on November 13th based on the rankings of their number one player. And uh, should Canada emerge as the first um, team out of Pool F, they would play the winner from Group C in the quarterfinal. And that group has Switzerland, Belgium, and Great Britain, who could have Andy Murray there. So... Uh, not going to be an easy feat for any team to emerge from this competition. It's um, it's different, and I guess in some ways it's replacing the Hotman Cup, which I always enjoyed as an exhibition to start the season that had men and women together, so I will miss that dynamic. 
I don't know how about how I feel about having another international event. I mean, we're going to have the Davis Cup finals coming up later this fall. Then not too long after that, here comes the ATP Cup. And it's also an Olympic year in 2020. So we're going to get a whole ton of international competition, which maybe will make the Olympics just that much more uh, competitive and exciting to, to watch, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think verdict is still out on this international event. It, it is quite interesting that you mentioned 27 out of the top 30. Uh, a lot of motivation. And I know Novak Djokovic has sort of spearheaded this event in a way. He likes the idea of getting all these top players together early in the season and having countries square off against one another. And, you know, it does sound like Davis Cup in a way. Uh, but hopefully we do have all those top players remaining, competing in the ATP Cup. And uh, as I said, verdict is still out. I haven't made up my mind on what I think of it. Uh, We will wait until we see it at the front end of 2020. For now on the ATP side, we have a couple of 250 events in St. Petersburg. Daniel Medvedev coming off that U.S. Open finals run and the incredible summer that he had. He'll be the top seed there. Karen Hatchinov, the number two seed. So it's the two Russians playing their home tournament there. Uh, In Metz, France, David Goffin is the number one seed and then Nikolos Basilashvili is the number two seed. We'll also talk about Labor Cup, just quickly, uh, Team Europe has to be the heavy favorite here, although last year it was a close matchup. But uh, Team World hasn't really drawn the best players I think that they wanted. Uh, actually, John McEnroe making a comment that he wanted Felix Ojealiasim there to play Labor Cup, but Ojealiasim has another tournament commitment, so he's not there. Milos Raonic, I'm questioning if he's healthy enough to play in this team event, but he is there, Denis Shapovalov, but it looks a little one-sided. Uh, it's a fun event. It's an exhibition. I, I just wish maybe it was a little more competitive. Yeah, and we said the same thing last year. I remember thinking, oh my God, that uh, Team Europe is going to absolutely dominate And it came down to the wire. It really got quite close. So I don't know if they were trying on purpose to kind of keep it close just for the, you know, the the watchability and the viewership there or or, or what the deal was. But this year, again, it looks like Team Europe is heavily favored. I mean, just the fact to me that Jack Sock is on Team World really kind of brings down (laughs) the overall credibility here. I mean, what does what has he done to deserve even being included, to be perfectly honest? Mm -hmm. I'm happy Milos is there. I'm happy Dennis is there. But. I feel like one of Team Europe's coaches, Thomas Enkvist, could probably beat Jack Sock. And Enkvist has been <laughs> retired for, I want to say, like eight years now. Yeah. But, uh, but that wouldn't shock me. So we'll see. Hopefully it surprises us again this year and it is competitive. It's an interesting uh, sort of uh, you know, thing that, that Federer has put together here. And I know, um, you know he's had Nadal and Djokovic in the past as well participating. But uh, it's an exhibition. There's no ranking points, and yet it is on the ATP site, sort of being promoted as an actual tournament, which strikes me as strange again. Um, am I going to watch? I'll keep an eye on it, I suppose. But uh, I, I'm not sure, quite sure. Like the, the ATP Cup, I'm not quite sure what to make of some of these things. Maybe I'm too much of a traditionalist. I don't really know. But uh, I, I do like the, the, um, the excitement it generates and how the players do seem to get more competitive as the event goes on, as the matches mean more. Yeah. Uh, but they got to find a way to sort of even the, uh, the playing field. I feel like, yeah, I think you're right. But uh, it, it does kind of create, create and produce that, that fun team environment that a player like Nick Curio seems to thrive on. Uh, I know he's played a, a couple great singles matches there at labor cup in the past one uh, against Roger Federer comes to mind, came down to the wire and, in, in sort of a super tie break. So uh, you could get interesting, compelling matches, but uh, certainly team Europe will be heavily favored. Uh, we have a fun night ahead of us coming in Toronto. Uh, uh, it's it's the Invesco Series Champions Night coming September 26th, and we're going to see a handful of veterans. So if you have the opportunity, I, I recommend you go. Jim Courier is playing James Blake at 7 o'clock. We have Andy Roddick there against Mark Filipousis, and then we will have a final. I know you and I are attending this event, and uh, I haven't actually had the opportunity to see any of these legends, so I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I get nostalgic about things like this, so I usually head out as long as it fits with the schedule. Uh, I saw John McEnroe play Courier in Hamilton at Cops Coliseum years ago. That was interesting. There were like two members of the media, so I had a half-hour one-on-one with Johnny Mack, which at that time in my uh, journalist career was was pretty neat. Um, and then, you know, Milos Raonic had a couple of years where he hosted an exhibition, played against Pete Sampras once. That was cool, while Sampras still had some some firepower. And this one, I mean, I'm excited to see Andy Roddick because, uh, you know, he's 37 years old. To me, he retired super, super young at the age of 30. When we talk about players 
coming out of retirement that we would have liked to have seen. I always kind of hoped that he'd change his mind and, and get back to it and play another Wimbledon, which, you know, never came to be. But uh, watching him and the Scud go head-to-head with their serves will be kind of neat uh, mm-hmm. in the second match. And Courier and Blake, I would imagine, should be uh, hopefully kind of competitive too. I'm, I'm predicting a Blake-Roddick final, but we'll see. More than anything, I just hope the Toronto tennis fans kind of come out and check it out because it's always more fun when you've got a lively crowd in attendance. Uh, ben and I will definitely be there, maybe do a few uh, interviews from fans as well to include on the podcast, and we're hopeful that we'll get to talk to the four players as well. Yeah, that would uh, certainly be terrific. As we wind down the episode, uh, we do have a giveaway for next week, so uh, be sure to tune in for this episode. We have a She the North hat, courtesy of Tennis Canada, and uh, we were trying to figure out the perfect way to sort of uh, you know, offer this prize up, and one idea that uh, we had was, why not share your favorite Bianca Andreescu moment of 2019 with us on our Twitter account, at MatchPointCan. And maybe if you can just leave out the obvious of the U.S. Open final and title victory, another moment that you have of Bianca, maybe through the course of her career or through this season, uh, that you can share with us on our Twitter account, and we can enter you into the draw to qualify for this uh, She the North hat. Yeah, we'll announce the winner on our uh, show next week, and we want to thank Tennis Canada for providing this. And I'll give a special shout-out to Oliver Wheeler, who is a communications uh, point man in Toronto for for Tennis Canada. All-around great guy. Mm -hmm. Fantastic Liverpool accent, too, that I'd like to point out. And uh, (laughs) he's been really great in terms of – he's going to kill me for doing this. He's been really great for uh, providing us with some cool stuff to give away this year. And so that'll be the next item. And we've got some other cool stuff, and I want to mention, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it a secret, but we've got some great stuff to give away through this fall tennis swing, some different stuff. I mean, we had the Rogers Cup tickets, which were great in the summer. We've got some other swag coming up that we'll be giving away in upcoming weeks. So please share the podcast, retweet the podcast, interact with us. We love hearing from you. And uh, we'll be happy to give away some other uh, neat things in the coming weeks. Yes, we certainly will. We thank our guests for uh, this program, Courtney Wynn. You can find her, remember, on Twitter at 40 Deuce Twits. And we will talk to you next time. Wasting all my time. Because when you're standing all so near, I kind of lose my mind. It's not the